0: s-p-u-l-l-e-n at fairwaymc.com and that phone number is 520-977-7904 shoot sue an email and let her know she needs to update that address disclaimer time this is where i tell everyone to lighten up it's just a podcast trading is like that roller coaster at the amusement park thrilling unpredictable and potentially stomach churning what works for one person might leave another clutching their hat in the wind our hosts and guests they're awesome knowledgeable full of insights but we're not financial advisors so don't rush to make any investment decisions based solely on our banter always consult with a professional or do your own research plus let's face it we like to have fun laugh enjoy the trading ride together it's all in the name of good podcasting fun so remember take it easy don't bet the farm and keep your seatbelts on at all times thank you for listening hello everybody and welcome back to the china shop home of the band of traders i'm your host kyle and joining me today is chris dover from PollinateTrading.com. chris comes recommended to us by our friend and frequent contributor purdue who unfortunately cannot join us tonight because he is out in kansas city chasing that white dragon but he did manage to send me a big list of questions for chris tonight before we get to those though please feel free to reach out with any suggestions corrections or questions for future guests do that via email at bandoftraderspodcast at gmail.com, or you can join our free Discord server where a bunch of amazing people gather to share our struggles and lessons learned with other like-minded market aficionados. All those links will be in the episode description so you can per- explore them after we get to know Chris. But speaking of which, uh, Chris, thanks for coming on, man. My pleasure. It's great to meet you. How's your uh, New Year treating you?
1: New Year was uh, was amazing. started out with a trip to Mexico City uh, for oh. the holiday there. And uh, with a bunch of friends and no kids, and it was uh, you know a, a treat. So far, <laughs> seems so like
0: good. seems like a lot of traders go to Mexico City. Is there a particular reason for that? Just because it's warm?
1: <laughs> uh, it's not that warm. Uh, no, really. Um, <laughs> well, compared to what Pertou dealing with, I suppose uh, it's nine here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. I am in I'm in Scottsdale. So we're, you know, we're back up into the 70s this week. So it's, it's Arizona. A tough, yeah, it was a tough two weeks where we dropped down into the 50s there. I I, uh,
0: I grew up in Tucson and before we moved to Illinois, I actually lived in Casa Grande for about nine years.
1: Hmm, yeah, fairly close, isn't it?
0: Yeah. Um, so tell me a little bit about
1: yourself then. How'd you how'd you get into trading? Uh, so uh, let's see. I joined the Marine Corps uh, Prior to uh, the global war on terror, and exited just shy of the beginning of that. Um, and uh, so that would have been 1999. Uh, Marine Corps, two big bases. One of those is Southern California. So yep. I was raised in Utah. And uh, my first winter in Southern California, it really you know, was obvious that I wasn't going to go back to that weather. Uh, so I, I stayed. I stayed there and um, I I guess just, I always knew or wanted to, I don't know if that's right. You know, I I always wanted to be in the market. I always wanted to be Mm -hmm. a trader. I didn't actually understand what it, what a trader was. uh, But I knew that, you know, making decisions about buying and selling things, yelling into a phone from the golf course or something like that was probably the thing that I was going to do as an adult. (laughs) That was my, that was my plan.
0: That's that's not usually something a kid thinks about though. Did you see a movie or did your dad do something? I mean something Caddyshack, similar, right? That wasn't that no, okay. uh that wasn't that, you know, okay.
1: buy, 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 sell, sell, sell whatever. <laughs> yeah. Um actually no, honestly, it was uh, it, it was a weird uh weird thing that it, like Alex P. Keaton from Family Ties, as uh, way old movie or T V mm-hmm. show, but he was this like um teenage business nerd. It was like things like that always really got me excited. Uh, the movie Wall Street, um, you know, things like that were were always very, very exciting to me for some reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, sports and all the other stuff too, of course, but but that, I, I just knew that that's where I wanted to go in life. Uh, and at least that's where I thought I wanted to go in life, I suppose. Um, so I got out of the Marine Corps, stayed in California, and I spent... A handful of months interviewing it at a bunch of brokerage firms uh and i didn't understand what being a broker was i thought that's the job i was actually looking for but turns out being a broker is like getting on the phone and calling 200 people a day saying hey buy this right stock that we believe you should be in and it's a lot more customer service than uh the guy yeah. on the floor, you know, yelling and waving. <laughs> exactly. And I, I didn't really know how to do any of that stuff. I just knew that it was like, well, that's the market. So I did all these interviews and if for some reason, nobody wanted to hire the guy who said, no, I'm not super into the idea of calling a bunch of people all day. I just want to make trading decisions. That's, that's what I wanted. <laughs> right. um, so that, that, uh, that was a hard few months of not me just not reading the room, I guess.
0: Did you have any schooling or education to pursue this too, or are you just going into interviews thinking I, I got this? Yeah, just that. Love just
1: that. Love that, <laughs> Love that confidence. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm a community college dropout, so uh, multiple multiple attempts. I went navy because I couldn't do college. That's why. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. I uh uh. It, yeah, I mean, well, I, whatever you know. I mean, like I just I I, I certainly wasn't qualified to um if if you know, having a bachelor degree was a qualification. I didn't have that. But, um, so I was kind of like going around to all the networking events at the time. And I was, you know, tricked to talk to these girls at a booth like they do. <laughs> uh, and uh, it turned out it was a prop trading firm. And, you know, guys, two guys come walking around from behind the booth, oh, hey, how you doing? You know, right. and um, turns out one of the guys was a former Marine himself. And he was the CEO of the firm. And, um, you know, we started talking about it and, you know, we were like, oh, it's exciting. I, you know, I could totally get into this. And, you know, we were going back and forth really, really well. And he's like, so, you know, yeah, just, we just got to make sure you got your degree. We've got to make sure, you know, I just said, well, oh, that's, that's the problem, <laughs> right? I said, I had, you know, I was a Marine. I just did the Marine thing. And I out. like, oh, you didn't go to school or anything like that? I was like, well, you know, I, I applied. They didn't, they didn't want me. <laughs> Um, (laughs) right (laughs) and uh um he's like you know well actually you're uniquely qualified to to work with me specifically on this project i have i was like uniquely qualified i was an infantry marine you know like need some doors kicked in and that he's like i just need somebody who when i tell them to do something really freaking dumb that they don't know what to that's right or wrong that they'll just do it i was like
0: your that guy sounds like uh, right here, yeah, this okay, guy, okay. that's <laughs> me
1: can de- I'll complain probably, but I, but I'll do it for sure. And he's like, that's it. You know, that's just what I need. I got a bunch of, you know, people here who are well overqualified in their mind for doing any of the work that actually needs to get done, but they'll write, you know, 200 mm-hmm. uh, page documents about all the work that needs to get done. All these other things need to get done. But when it comes to like, Pulling cables and you know plugging in servers and and coding up software and building trading algorithms and all this other stuff. They're kind of like either they don't know how to do it or they're too cool to do it. Yeah. And I need to start just getting people to do what needs to be done as opposed to tell me how important they are the whole time. I was like, y- yes, let's go. Right. Uh. And and that was that was my intro into it. So he basically said, look, I'll treat I'll teach you how to trade. Discretionarily, well, systematic, really. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'll teach you how to trade to day trade, and this was the height of the dot com bubble, so it was, it was really kicking off everywhere. He said, "I'll teach you to trade for the first couple hours of the day, and then after the open is done, you'll be, you'll be doing nerd shit." I was right? Like, yeah, let's go. And um and so, yeah, you know, the Southern California. So you know, Mark starts six thirty. By eight thirty nine a.m., I'm I'm working a regular job, basically learning all the stuff that really was just the cutting edge uh, Mm -hmm. at that point in time. Uh, Nobody was really doing software at that time. Nobody was, uh, you you know, it it was it was just new. Was this
0: before two thousand one? You said it was in
1: ninety nine. So
0: how how did the trading actually work then? Because were you having to call an actual person to like place your trades, or did you have a terminal?
1: We had, uh, we had trading software Mm -hmm. and it was, uh, it was called direct access trading. Uh, and, and you would just, what you do now, Mm -hmm. but, uh, like a level two, we had level twos and, uh, you know, it was kind of, um, Honestly, it's not too much different than today for a lot of training. <laughs> just Honestly, probably slower, <laughs> a lot slower. Yeah. Um, and one one thing that we were doing at that firm was writing software to be able to to really just not need to, to actually be remote to provide. Mm-hmm. So at the time, um, you were either calling in orders or you know you were professional and you worked at, at a prop firm or something like that. So this was a prop firm and. We we had a trading floor, mm-hmm. and which was just a blast. Uh, probably the last, probably the last, you know, opportunity for for a trading floor. It was just a bunch of terminals everywhere, you know, computers everywhere. There was one uh, dedicated broker to the floor, and mm-hmm. he had access to some of these. Uh, they're called ECNs, elect, uh, electronic communication network, or something like that. Okay. Where yeah. yeah you know you would find arbitrage you could stare at the level 2 you would see microsoft was trading at i don't know 33 and a quarter we were in in fractions at the time and uh he saw somebody buying at let's say 33 and a half so he would just mash the 33 and a quarter and as he was doing it you know with as much as he could five thousand, ten thousand, twenty thousand shares and he would just yell out offer, you know, 10,000 softy at 33 and a half or 33 Mm -hmm. and, you know, whatever to, to take that little itty bitty spread. And the, the other broker there running that other network would hit it. And so there was a lot of that, like, it's almost like some arbitrage then it was definitely arbitrage and it was, uh, not, not, uh, not, it wasn't code. It was just dudes hitting buttons. Um, (laughs) and, uh, it was, it was pretty cool. But yeah, we do two, three hundred trades within an hour or two of mm-hmm. the trading day. And then, yeah, we were done. And from there, uh, I learned how to build software and uh, learn networking and just all that sort of stuff. Really, that's kind of a like
0: almost the best case scenario. Then you want to get into nice. the field. Not only do you get a job like in the field, but you have the guy who's teaching you how to trade and you're learning how to do all of this stuff to build a company.
1: <laughs> Because nobody else wants to do yeah. it. <laughs>
0: like yeah, yeah I'd sign me up. I
1: <laughs> well and I mean we we built another we so that company, that that prop firm and the software got acquired um and uh by our uh, clearing firm. Mm-hmm. And uh you know, the the same way that got me hired was the reason that got me like laid off. It's like, oh, where's your degree? You know, like, right, right out the door um but that's that you already learned well yeah but him and i developed a really good relationship and and he um uh him and i went and started another software company and you know it's he's i left it after about three years mm-hmm. three or four years uh and he continues to run it and you know well over a billion dollar valuation so you know he's it was it was a great opportunity working with him and uh still you know still a great guy
0: that's freaking awesome and that's a hell of a story too uh, you kind of mentioned a little bit there. You you mentioned discretionary trading, and then you said systematic there. And that's actually one of the questions Purdue had on here was to kind of talk a little bit about the differences between the two.
1: Absolutely. I I think um there there's a journey that and and it's a an experienced and learned uh evolution, I guess is the way to say it, uh, rather than just kind of in in essence, a lot of people like to start on third base, mm-hmm. or on the twenty fifth mile of a marathon, right? And and say they ran the marathon, or you know, whatever it was. But the reality is, they they haven't accumulated the experience and the the knowledge to, you know, sure you can say you you've, you finished a marathon if you started at twenty five point two and ended at twenty six point two miles. Um, you can say you finished a marathon, but you didn't actually run a marathon, right? I don't know if it's the best analogy, but that's what I, that's what I see so many traders doing is they, they want to fast forward to the final chapter. They want to fast forward to the very end and go straight into the hardest part of the job Mm. where, you know, you, you don't, you don't sell books and you don't like people are not interested in hearing about really boring non exciting non eventful the so what are we 24 25 years i've been trading and i you know the things that people ask or talk the most about are like 911 or dot com 911 global financial crisis uh whatever you know yeah, like yeah. Uh, uh asian debt uh uh european um arab spring uh commodity, 2018 covid like Those single events that were just like, yeah, global finance crisis was about two years, but it was like a period that it was just really insane and wild. 9 11 was, you know, a day and about two weeks of trading, week and a half trading or something like that that was shut down. And then another couple of days, and, you know, COVID was a month. And, you know, people are really focused on those events. And they just like, Oh, I just got to be that guy who's ready to go on, you know, when everybody wants to be Michael Burry. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Everybody wants to be Michael Burry. They want to be uh, the one who steps in at the absolute bottom, buys it and makes their career. The thing is that there's, you know, we're looking at 25 years. So 10,000 trading days that that happened Mm -hmm. um, within that period of time. That if you don't manage those days, you can't even show up for the one opportunity that <laughs> is there. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Because uh, it's a boring, boring, we, you know, trading is very boring for 90, 99% of the time, really, really boring. And where people really get in the most amount of trouble is when they're bored or. Yes, I've noticed that. Yeah, trying to force, uh, trying to force a, uh, uh major market top. I've been sitting here
0: for an hour, like, oh, I need to do something. Uh, okay, this looks good enough. No, <laughs> that's, that's not good <laughs> <Yeah>. enough.
1: <laughs> take it. I'm gonna take a take a flyer on this take a flyer right. on that or whatever. Um, now, I'm not to say that you that you can't do those sort of things. But I guess really, what I'm getting at is until you can get to the point of really being successful, a Mark Michael Burry scenario, is you have to accumulate a lot of experience to Realize that you're going to have to, you know, you, you you need to. It's it's almost luck. No offense to Mr. Burry or anybody else who's who's done amazing things in that sense. If you caught a top, then yeah, that's pretty much luck. Well, you they're going to happen maybe. eventually. But I mean, I I think it's I think it's an element of luck too. I think so. I you know the what it what it really is is just staying in the game long enough for luck to happen. Yeah. And, you know, and not not put luck as your, you know, your your teammate on the field.
0: Yeah. You know, like, uh, okay. so for an example here, like the the story you just told about meeting the the people that kind of put you on your career, that sounds lucky to some people. Some people call you lucky for that, but you put yourself in the scenario to get lucky. And there's a difference, Mm -hmm. I think,
1: between the two. That yeah, that, it, 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 I was not born special to have the fact that right. to, to know to like go to this one networking event and that it would turn like accept a a no salary job for whatever it was to you know to it, put myself into it.
0: No, you went to uh, many of them over the course of multiple months and then managed to hit on one of them. That's not luck. Yeah. That's just odds. The odds are in your yeah. favor if you stack enough
1: of them like that. And that's and that's what that's what systematic trading is about is to find a small edge mm-hmm. and, and just play it out. Uh, so really what I, what I was getting at in that po- whole, the whole, um, soliloquy was that a lot of people want to go straight into that big, you know, big macho, uh, I'm buying the dip, I'm selling the red, you know, I'm, I'm selling the top, this thing's going at whatever. And the systematic side is the thing that you will get to the point to be able to recognize that this is legitimately a place where you could consider things are too expensive, too cheap, um, mm-hmm. conditions are wild because you actually have statistical um, data you, you've got you've got a lot of analyzed data to understand where anomalies are and where they're not, and usually what you find in in the systematic work is is you start finding these. You know, we've we six and a half hours of live trading in equities market, equity markets on a on a Monday through Friday or so. Um, in a systematic trading environment, let's say you're day trading, you may find yourself three trades a day in that environment. You may find yourself three trades a week in that that environment, or a month or something. Mm-hmm. But the the point is, is that when it when those conditions line up, you're there to take advantage of them, and then. Okay, so you're in the right spot for the good conditions, but it's it's not so much just that. It's also what size is your position? How much risk are you putting on? You know, how many times does this happen over the course of a week, month, year, uh of of a lifetime? And if there's enough of it that you can do things. For example, uh you know, I'm I'm I got into card counting in blackjack because mm-hmm. it's just very simple that if, if you can do like arithmetic fast, which is just practicing, it's it's nothing right. special about it. Rain Man, notwithstanding, you know, <laughs> Dustin Hoffman or whatever, you know, like there are special folks I'm sure out there, but I did just fine not being super gifted with it. Just say, okay, I just need to learn how to count how many, uh, you know, how many of these types of cards are in the deck and how many have already been put out there, what every other card on the table is doing and, uh, how I bet most importantly. Hmm. and systematic trading is really about that it's just knowing what the what game you're playing and then knowing where the places are to to put risk on and where where you have no opportunity to put risk on so there's there's really no point in that
0: because you you use the the marathon analogy like nobody everybody wants to start running at the end just to say that they finished or they want to get to the finish sooner. But like, where's the actual proper place to start then if you really want to learn how to trade and do it right?
1: Yeah, so that, that's where you get into systematic. I think that you should not get into discretionary trading until you've you have predictable, repeatable returns. And with discretionary trading, usually what happens is you start out in a discretionary place and you suck. <laughs> uh, and then you're just like, oh, I'm just going to follow these simple rules. As long as I stick with these rules, and then you discover that, um, you know, the rules change. And then there's it gets into market regimes, gets in different environments, doesn't work all the time. Mm-hmm. So when you get into that systematic side, then you're now you're you actually have a lot of different routes that you can go. And then you take that um, that perspective and look at what you were doing as a discretionary trader you're like oh awesome i was short selling every rip in a early bull market which is you know one of the most violent short squeezing <laughs> environment out there um Guilty. you know you've done that before yeah. <laughs> we all have i mean yeah. we all start that way uh, we all start that way for sure and and so you just understand that okay you could start if even if you were just going to go systematic if you just started and and said, let me figure out so that the evolution goes from discretionary to a systematic and you systematic is just purely rules based. And then the evolution from just rules based is you start to understand, oh, so there's rules for this, there's rules for that, there's different regimes, different market types, that you can do certain things. And there's different types where it doesn't a big mm-hmm. You know, a long, slow, boring bear market like we had from 21 to 23 uh, so far. The things that you were doing in 2020 and 2021 didn't work, right? Or they worked in like certain small windows, and so that's that's the next step in the systematic side where you get into understanding. You know, now you have systematic tools. Applying the right systematic tools to the right market environments, the right market regime. So, a sideways, boring, slow market, you want a mean reversion type strategy. So you're not doing breakout momentum systems in a you know in a in a neutral sideways market, and you're not doing uh, you're not shorting rips and buying dips in a in a you know high you know uh, a high long only or short only momentum environment, and and vice right. versa. Right.
0: Uh, Yeah. Rich Friesen talked to us a lot about uh, market moods. Uh, I think he was the first person who kind of came across it. He calls them market moods. You call them market regimes, but it's the same concept. Like you have certain strategies that perform better in different environments and you have to start figuring out how to categorize those different environments. So that way you can start tracking your strategies to them. Uh, Something that's a lot easier said than done though. (laughs) I've spent quite a bit of time trying to figure out how to define the different markets environments, like the way that I see them. Yeah. And it, they're constantly changing. Like I'm constantly tweaking. I don't think I, I feel like i still haven't found like the right answer for me. Like what is
1: like, how do you define them? Like what's, what's your systematic approach towards that? So the, the you know, the more experience I have, the easier it is for me to identify it just on price action. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, maybe taking the temperature, like I, you know, I could, I could look at a handful of things and understand what type of environment we're in and what sort of trades would be that I would start uh, pursuing. Mm-hmm. But that's because, you know, that that's at the other end of the systematic, I have you know, you go through that period. Yeah. yeah. But uh, you know, the, the first, the thing that really did it for me was a, a tool called the SQN system quality number, uh, which was originally created by Dr. Van Tharp uh, and, and his crew, uh, all his, you know, all his folks
0: and that SQN indicator that's a uh, free on tradingview too isn't it
1: yeah it's i i i have it i i created yes. it in okay. tradingview and and so if anybody wants it just yeah go to tradingview type in SQN and you'll see Christy macro and it's the one that has there's like i there's a couple of them in there so just do the one that has the most followers uh it might be uh i'll I'll link it in the episode description i'll find it yeah yeah it's so free i want to check it out yeah it's free use it uh, you should be able to see the code if you want to tinker with it. It's nothing too fancy, mm-hmm. and it's actually it actually came from a tool to a statistical tool to grade your trading systems. So we use okay type a lot. Of, we use a lot of metrics in trading of you know the quality of your trading and and how good you're doing. Um, you know a lot of people fall victim to the idea of win rate as a good tool. Mm-hmm. Or you know, high win rate or low win rate as as a good tool, and that's it's irrelevant. Yeah, depends on your depends, depends on your risk reward. reward. Right? It, Profit factor is probably a little better. You know, yeah. if it keeps you in the game because you have a high win rate to get you to the next point, so that you can you know move up the chain, up the up the ladder of of success, then it's it's not bad at all. Um, I know a lot of people that need a high win rate mm-hmm. to maintain that work but of course you're not going to get a high yeah. uh, high return and high win rate over time you may it may happen you know for a week or two mm-hmm. but you do it for a couple months or hundreds of trades and it just you know you're going to it's it's going to drop so sometimes you'll have a guy like Paul Tudor Jones who's really known for you know 25 to 30 40% win rate but he's got more money than all of us combined (laughs) (laughs) if you
0: hit 10x on the ones that win you're risking two on the ones that lose it's exactly right math works out, or
1: you have a high win rate and so you're you know you're risking you know risking two to make one or something like that so that tool measured our systems so it, it didn't matter if we had high win rate low win rate um high volatility of our system or low volatility of the system that SQN tool was a statistical way to put a number on your trading system and say, this is a good system. doesn't mean, hmm. look, if if I'm early in my early on-ish in my career and I need mentally to have a high win rate because, you know, I can't handle multiple losses or something like that, then even though the system quality number of my the SQN of my system is great, I'm not going to be able to trade it. So, but you would, it's the first step in saying... This is a good system. The next step is let's go see if, if you mm-hmm. could actually trade this system. Right now. In the future, right? You could.
0: Longtime fans of the show should be familiar with the lender formerly known as Sue Pullen, and I'm pleased to announce that she's back, fresh off a rebrand and ready to help as Sue Mackey. Sue is a certified mortgage advisor at Fairway Independent Mortgage, an equal housing lender, who focuses on finding the right product for you and your needs. She has over twenty years of experience helping thousands of homeowners. Whether it's purchasing, refinancing, or even a reverse mortgage, Sue will help. Sue's licensed in 36 states now, so reach out and let Sue Mackey it happen for you. The best way to reach her is just give her a call at 520-977-7904 or in an email spullen at fairwaymc.com. Fairway Independent Mortgage has an MLS number of 2289. Sue Mackey has an MLS number of 206048. That email again S-P-U-L-L-E-N at fairwaymc.com and that phone number is 520-977-7904. Shoot Sue an email and let her know she needs to update that
1: address. So then we start applying that to uh, the markets, the underlying markets and we break it down. I break it down into a number of First of all, we have to understand the underlying incentive of the market that we're trading. So, for example, currency, and and I'm talking on like daily, weekly timeframes, Mm -hmm. like bigger picture. Uh, Currencies, for example, are not, the the major currencies, are not really designed to trend. Like you would, you know, going along the dollar Dixie at like 93 and holding on to that till it gets to (laughs) um, (laughs) 15,000, the world is over. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, yeah. in Argentina and Venezuela and right. Turkey, you know like it's different because those aren't reserve currencies and you know whatever other things there. But generally speaking, the G7 currencies are not built to trend uh, and and do a whole lot. So you have to understand, okay, if I'm analyzing a currency, I need to understand that this is more of a mean reverting type environment. Yeah, we could have months and you know years or weeks or whatever that it could trend but it's definitely not going to be a direct you know a direct line. You drop it down to a 15 minute, yeah, you could get good rips. Um so that's one thing. Right. When we look at equity indices, for example, the the big cap ones especially, they are already optimized systems to go higher. If the economy is generally improving, mm-hmm. and it doesn't even have to improve, the way these algorithms are built, if companies are uh, increasing earnings, Well, if they're better than another company, it's going to be in the index. So the S&P 500 is a 500 top companies. Yeah. If the 499th or 500th top company is underperforming the 501st and 502nd, they're out. And so you're optimizing for the best. Yep. Just, you know, like a roster on your sports team. You're just like, okay, this running back is getting 10 yards. This running back is getting 100. That's my running back.
0: That's an... Excellent point. Um, I remember talking to so like yeah, the, the indexes go up all the time, but the, mm-hmm. the companies that make them up change all the time. There's companies yeah. within them that go bankrupt, but the S and P doesn't take a hit yeah. from that. It just replaces it with another one. That's something that I think kind of gets lost. if uh, you, you don't really
1: can. <laughs> we, we we have the same we have the same access to that market. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's but a but great yeah, point, a, lot, a lot of people get caught up in the headlines. They get caught up in the the angry, cranky macro um, uh, guy analysis that, you know, the world's going to end. And, you know, this Michael this, Burry, yeah, <laughs> yeah, there's 99% of the market is like that, you know, it's like a yeah. really huge population of people in the market don't think about those sort of things. Um, to the point on Michael Burry, you know, at least when he puts his bets on, he does use proper, I would say position sizing. Yeah. Uh, so instead of shorting two billion, he shorted two billion notional. Uh yes. was a trade he did earlier this year that people were all oh you, should, you know he just bought a yeah bunch that of puts, was annoying. You know yeah, that or whatever that was just you know, if it was. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know anything about the guy. Uh I just know that a lot of people will follow him and go in that direction and I'll play them pretty easily. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> they're they're useful. <laughs> but yeah, so if you're looking at that at, at a at a product like that, then the underlying incentive is to go higher over time. So when I'm looking at my at my SQN environments, now I go back 150 years of data on the S&P 500, but about 100 years, and I can see back to the 1920s. I can see that 80% of its time it was in a bull market. It was in a bullish regime. Mm-hmm. So over 100 years of data, that single index, the S&P 500 has been in a bullish regime. Wow. So right away, I know, okay, I just need to, if if I don't have a bullish regime system for that, that that's already like, they're already handing me a number go up type of product. Right. So if I'm, if I'm not just like okay there's this raging river going that way and I want to get to the you know I, I want to take advantage of this river jump in and go. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh don't don't jump in and start swimming against it. One of the other things about that is so so I have uh I have three directions in my regimes bullish bearish neutral. Okay. Uh and then there's high volatile and low volatile. Hey, so that's the way about, I started with. There you go. Interesting. Um and my measurements of volatility are just the percent change day over day not vix not uh-huh. um nothing it's just that individual asset whether it's apple whether it's gold whether it's euro bitcoin s&p whatever mm-hmm. it is what is the change day over day so today's change on s&p was negative 0.37% friday i don't, I don't know was up i think maybe but <laughs> And then it averages the last hundred days. Okay. So in essence, what we're doing is just getting an average of the direction of the last hundred days and the average of how much it changed in a percentage change day over day. Mm -hmm. So you should very easily understand that you're rising, you should be able to look at that last hundred. You don't even need it on a chart to see that it, that it would be going up or going down. If you were to just go look at how many percent ups and percent downs kind of uh, were in a spreadsheet column, you could pretty much understand the direction that mm-hmm. is the the river is flowing. And you already know that 80% of it is going to be going higher in the uh, S&Ps or the major indices. So you probably don't even have to think too hard about which direction it's going to go. The only The other thing... That you that you know that the last thing that's really interesting about that is only, um, it's about one percent of all trading days in over a hundred years, are extreme bearish days. Wow! So if we're looking at uh, let's call it one hundred and ten years of data, one day out of one percent of that, one percent of that was the an extreme market bottom. And what's your definition of extreme? Is that just the the percent change? It'll be the accumulation of the previous 100 days direction. So think of like COVID bottom. Oh, okay. okay. So not any specific day. It's any stretch of periods that you're looking at. Gotcha. So that's another thing you start understanding is like, okay, well, where do major market tops exist? In what environment do they exist? And if Mm -hmm. you know that, because so many people are always worried that if they come in and buy, if they've finally been convinced to buy after they've been super bearish forever they're always worried the reason they don't buy is because they're always worried that when they do finally buy that's the top and yep. you know um it is usually for most yep. people who who are in the trading game not not you know my father-in-law not people like that who are just kind of like man bought apple man that thing goes up
0: <laughs> it wasn't that long ago when i would i would Found myself thinking that like a short, short, short. Nope, nope, nope. Okay, fine. I'll go along. Nope. Now it rips. It dumps on me. Yeah. Like, yeah. I've I've been through that cycle a
1: few times. You and everybody else in this game. Yeah. Um yep. if you've if you if you're still in this game, then you've done it. Um, or you're going to do it. Well, thank and you. That's Encouraging. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's it's that evolution, right? You start out yep. with like, I know more than the market. These guys are idiots. I've you know, I've experienced more life, I'm smarter, I'm everything uh that everybody else is and then you realize like well that doesn't matter let me just get into statistical systematic stuff and just kind of bang 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 uh and then after you get through that understanding of all the statistics and like where you can like play around a little bit more Mm -hmm. once you know you know only 10 or i'm sorry one percent of all days over a hundred something years you have a major spike bottom so the only time I need to be thinking about I need to mortgage everything in my entire life to buy this thing is one of those environment, you know, one of those periods, right? Or I don't, whatever, you know, <laughs> or or I just put a hundred bucks on it and it's going to work out because it's going to be that major market bottom where I don't need to put a whole lot of risk at work and it's going to play out for a very long time. Mm-hmm. And and so that's, that's those are some things like that. Gold has a different sort of incentive uh, scenario than like like indices um bitcoin has a very similar if not way more incentive to go up Mm -hmm. um is that because of the scarcity that's right yeah yeah and the demand now Mm -hmm. um but the thing about it is because it's not controlled by institutions until last week um (laughs) there there wasn't finally
0: got the grayscale etf finally went through
1: uh, 11 BT- Bitcoin spot ETFs went through last uh, last Thursday uh, uh, and started trading. Um, Grayscale got one of them, right? I hope. Yeah, Grayscale were, got I one think of they them. were
0: first on the. Yeah, if
1: they didn't get one, I was going to be pissed. Well, they. Um, yeah, so just a side tangent. They sued the SEC and they won. Yeah, and they're the ones that should've. created. Yeah, they're the ones that created. The, they're caused this whole thing. Mm-hmm. And so it's to their credit, but they're, they also we're charging 2% management fee for that trust. And now ETFs are at like, you know, 10 bips. Yeah. Uh, and so everybody who was in Grayscale just sold instantly uh, because, you know, it was just crazy how much, you know, 2% versus like 200 bips to 10 bips. Um, <laughs> Dang, I got to pull up that charge. <laughs> so not, yeah, yeah Grayscale's... Yeah, Grayscale's kind of been in some. They're, they're, it's just been rolled over for a lot of a lot of it. A lot of people have uh, just rolled over their uh, crypto into yeah. uh, other, you know, like Ibit or uh, you know, Arc or any of those others. But but like certain cryptos are, and crypto in general has a is, is amazing. It's it's actually far easier to trade crypto than it is other markets.
0: Hmm. Why do you think that is? Well, less algorithms at play, yeah, or less people yeah. trading. Well, there are
1: definitely algorithms involved, but we're not talking uh, the high frequency and the the amount of capital that is that is involved. Such a large the, the majority cohort is uh, individual uh, mm-hmm. traders, and and it, they're not super sophisticated, which is actually lovely. So mm-hmm. you you know you kind of try to apply Fibonacci or an RSI, MACD or something like that to the S&P, you kind of it's kind of hard. It's not right. not the easiest game to play. You do that on, you know, whatever coin, I don't know, come up with, you know, any name, uh, a crypto <laughs> chain name link. and Pans- chain link. there Pancake. you go. Yeah. Yeah, Sushi coin. coin, sushi coin, any of those. Arbitrum, Optimism. Like like, you know, there's thousands and thousands <laughs> of them. Um you'll see okay there was a big parabolic rip boop and then it comes back where does it come back to well it rips through that 61.8 fib level but it that's the level it holds so it's not going to be like precise so you got to understand that anytime you play that that game of precision you're going to you're going to get ran in Mm -hmm. whether you're trading sugar cocoa or you know crypto or or S&P or whatever Um, but it'll okay it stops right here at that fib level goes up comes back down for another retest and then starts going in the bullish regime when you when you have it in the proper regime you can you can trade you can understand okay it's not just the you know the huddle mindset uh, mm-hmm. you, you again you have to what everybody's saying and doing isn't what you have to be doing if you're going to you know your job is to make money in the markets your job is not right. to participate in yelling at the market for going <laughs> up when you want it to go when it should be going down for Reasons, right? From for all the yes. ten thousand reasons that the Fed, this, that, the other, or whatever. Uh, but if it's not, then in essence, if the S and going up, that's what it should be doing. When it goes down, there's something that's kind of wrong. Yes.
0: So, so, so the idea then is basically that because there's more retail investors or more retail traders trading in the crypto space than the things that. Retail traders tend to gravitate towards like technical analysis. Uh, mm-hmm. They tend to have a stronger efficacy because right. there's more
1: people uh, following it and uh, respecting it. Is that yeah. kind of the idea then? It's a self fulfilling props. You, you know, that stuff is generally speaking self fulfilling. It's just a mm-hmm. way, a really good way to represent. Get a visual representation of emotion, hmm. and and not everybody is believe it or not, not everybody is a, a diamond hand hodler in crypto. No. Um, <laughs> there are plenty, and they are big contingents, and they are loud, and they are annoying, and and blah blah blah. And you love them, and they're great, and you know it's it's. But if you can just remove yourself from that, and be a trader. Then whether it's the euro, whether that it's the the five year, whether it's the boons, whether it's the yen, whether it's the the Spooz or Tesla or Nvidia or whatever it is, mm-hmm. you know, trade it. If 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 that's your thing, then just trade it. You don't have to jump into the narrative or or the you know the big stories to make money, and you know so much of in the bigger markets, it's, it's small people LARPing as you know, billion dollar fund managers. Uh, you know, it's (laughs) me and my $10,000 account is, is not the same as, as, you know, Warren Buffett. Um, and so, you know, when I'm sitting there talking about all these big things, uh, sure that 10,000, if you keep playing the Warren Buffett game until you're a hundred years old, you probably are going to do pretty darn good. I I Mm -hmm. don't, I don't disagree. But at the same time, you know, if you're expecting 200, 300% returns and, you know, you're showing up to work in a suit to manage your $10,000 account in your parents' basement, it's, you know, just for the job you want. I got it. (laughs) I'm in my parents' basement right now, by the way. So no shade. I'm in my basement. Yeah. I'm just kidding. I'm not in my parents' basement. (laughs) Like, no shade on those folks. Like, (laughs) I'm closer to you than I am to... Warren right. Buffett or anybody else. So it's just I'm the reality. I'm trying to be a little bit more realistic about the idea that, you know, we you are, you don't need a massive account in order to make a good living. I think it's kind of the idea, right? And Manage your own risk and your own expectations. My my friend uh, Darren John's the like, he says this the best Darjon 25 on Twitter. Um, you know, you keep trying to play that game or, or folks keep trying to play that game that that Susquehanna or Jane Street or Citadel is playing super complicated stochastic math trying to come up with the perfect system so that you can make $17 at the end of the month. The reason that they're doing that's because they have to do it with billions and billions and billions of dollars and you know a, a 17 basis point move to them is actually big money. Right. They have they're leaving just piles of $100 bills on the floor. For you to go to pick up, right? But you get caught up in the idea that I'm, oh, no, I'm not going to do retail. I'm not going to do retail stuff. You're like, dude, retail is where the money is in this environment where you're playing. That's where the money is to be is to be made. It's not, it, you know, it doesn't have to be in this big crazy stochastical math type world. You could just simply. Um, I just told you, eighty percent of the time it goes. Yeah. Up.
0: I mean, that's that's another great point too, though. Is like having a large account is almost a handicap. Like those big institutions can't trade the same way that you trade. They can't, because uh, yeah. I mean, I'm sure you'd love to be able to slap a thousand contracts on, you know, NQ or ES and, and do the same thing you're doing. But you're gonna, it's a lot harder to yeah. get your fills and get in and out and not be stuck holding a giant bag when something goes wrong.
1: That's right. You hit that thousand number. You better be trading ES, not NQ, because even oh, though bit even though it's a big contract, the NQ, it's not. Not nearly <laughs> as liquid. On there, or you is, have to get into no. tenure or something, <laughs> right? But, totally true. There, there's so much money left on the ground, just sitting there to be taken. If you just understand how to do really good risk management, and understand the incentives of that market, and just just find that predictable, repeatable pattern, predictable that you can predict that you're about to have a trade, repeatable mm-hmm. that the trade will repeat enough times over time, you can make money. The outcome is, you know. You should know what your outcome is. 50% of the time is going to be a 2 hour winner, 50% of the time is going to be a one hour loser. Okay, cool. Great. Make money yep. forever doing that. I'm on it. Yeah.
0: We're starting to get close to the end of our time here. So, I want to make sure that we covered this topic before we uh we run out of time here, but backtesting. I want to talk to you about I want to hear about your process. Like what it's what does it look like to take like say you start with an idea, like how do you turn that idea into something
1: or what process does it go through before it makes it onto your like playbook? Um, there's a lot of observation and notes. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad we're hitting this, this uh, subject. I think this is probably the single best tool that a retail trader has at their disposal.
0: And there's a lot of our audience that wants to get better at it, myself included. So anybody who's been
1: successful at it, yeah, we want to pick your brain. Okay, first things first, you need a spreadsheet or a pad of paper and mm-hmm. a chart. That's it. You don't need yep. software. You don't need anything special. You just need to do it. And let let's say you have an idea. And okay, so usually what I'll do is I'll just jot jot down my ideas over and over and over. I, I see this. Oh, I always see this. Oh, I always see that. Write it down. Eventually, I just get to a point where I'm like, okay, let me test this one single thing. So you usually have to narrow it down quite a bit from mm-hmm. okay, the open does this that you know like. Okay, let me choose a specific time, one specific asset, and then one factor, one thing that I can do that there's no discretion in it. So, mm-hmm. you know, what what is that? Two bars up, one bar down, third bar up maybe or something, you know, like really simple. Right. Um, and then you go and collect blindly. The best way to do it, in my opinion, is to you just go to a random date and bar and there's like. You don't see anything from the next bar forward and you apply your algorithm, for lack of a better term, your your trade setup, bar by bar. So you just right arrow the next bar. Is that the setup? Nope, not yet. Is that setup? No, not yet. Is that setup? Okay, it looks like it's starting to happen. That's predictability. Boom, boom, mm-hmm. boom. Okay, there's the setup. Okay, so you go enter your entry, your stop, your profit target, the time of day, those sort of things so that you can go back and do it again. And again and again. And so, um, that process can take, uh, well right now for me, I do that every day. I've been doing that every day for about 15 years now. Uh, I do about mm. an hour a day every day. That's the thing that pulled me out of, um, inconsistency. Yep. So that, by the way, that was 10 years into trading. Uh, I was taught that stuff in the beginning and then I became Mr. Like I know stuff. And then it took me time to get to the point of like, I don't know shit. Don't get me started um, on that. Yeah. So <laughs> I've had experts
0: coming on here for three years telling me everything I need to do to be successful. And it's only like the, the last year that like some of those things are starting to click. Like, oh, that's why he said I need to spend time
1: watching and not trading.
0: Oh, that's yeah. why he
1: said I need to do this. Or that's what he meant by this. And the, the thing about this backtesting thing is I so again, I have 25 years of trading experience under my belt let's say that's about 200 trading 220 trading days a year that I've done maybe 200 mm-hmm. let's call it three trades a day so that's let, let's go with 600 uh, 1200 was that 15 uh, 15,000 trades I think is the is the number that comes to Somewhere Sounds around right. 15,000 trades that I theoretically have done over that 25 year period yeah if you did if you went and did an hour of practicing and accumulated let's say 30 trades in that one hour of practicing, that's the equivalent of about 10 to 15 days of, my, of actual live trading experience. You accumulate in one hour doing a manual back test. So your practice. I love that reframe. So you're, yeah. Y- yeah, if, and, and I, I ask this question a lot and very few people actually get the answer. Purdue answered it correctly, um, maybe because he hangs out with me. So <laughs> he knew the answer already. Smart guy. And smart guy too. I asked the question, so I knew the answer. So I, I'm not saying, you know. Well, what's the question? Um, I got to know. Now. The question <laughs> is: the question is, if Kobe Bryant was to become a day trader, how would he, What would his trading day look like? Knowing what you know about Kobe Bryant's training as, as one of the best, you know, basketball NBA players in history, things we know about Kobe, a lot of people will say, oh, he's a gambler, or he, you know, like it's not what I'm talking about. No. What's no? He's going to be practicing ninety percent of his time. That's right. He is yep. known for practice. He was known for practicing four practice sessions per day, mm-hmm. whereas the top competitor he ever went against was like, you know, an hour or two in the gym and then an hour or two on the court. Right? He's yep. doing four of those a day, yeah. And he just started like running away from everybody else. And that's the exact same thing. You have that opportunity. Every re- every trader who wants to get in this game has that opportunity to practice and. You want to get good. You spend an hour a day for a week, just your first hour. After you get that under your belt, you're going to be seeing the market completely different. Mm-hmm. You're not going to be, you're going to have a lot clearer picture of what you're doing because you're, it's first of all, you have no emotion. You have no, you're not, you know, you're not like caught up in the, what's the next bar going to do? What's this? Out? You know, I have real money on the line. And, you know, what am I, you're not, you're just objectively looking at things, watching it go through, documenting it. And you know, a lot of people will say, "Well, man, you know, that's not the same as real trading." And and like again, you know, I was a Marine infantry, and that's like saying, "Well, you know, shooting targets, shooting paper targets, is not the same as actually getting shot right. at." So don't practice shooting. Yeah, like, don't practice <laughs> the stuff that you need to do. You know, like playing a football game is not the same <laughs> as it is at the Super Bowl. So don't even practice. Just play the right. game. Like it's ridiculous. But so many people will say, "Oh." you know, backdressing paper trading, all that stuff is, is not the same. No kidding. It's not the same, but yeah. No, people don't want to do it
0: because it's not sexy. It's not fun.
1: It's, it's not gambling. Yeah. 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 How many, how many times have you went and put, you know, uh, went to buy one contract of let, let's say S and P and you actually, you put an 11 on accident. You didn't realize you hit one twice. <laughs> yeah, I, haven't done, <laughs> I haven't done that one yet, but I've done six instead of one. That was, uh, enough to skip same. a beat. Yeah. or how many times have you put buy instead of sell or yeah uh, market order instead of or a stop order instead of a market order or whatever like <laughs> I do that when I'm back testing all the time <laughs> that's where you should be making your mistakes it's yeah. exactly where you should be making your mistakes so that you when you get into game time you're not making the mistakes that you can right. eliminate in practice that chess pass Kobe mm-hmm. would warm up with every day then the bounce pass he would mm-hmm. dudes you know, MVP, you know, rings and he's practicing passes, Still doing the basics, doing the basics. And he's not going to pass, by the way, like right. you know, right. he, he's not known for that, <laughs> <laughs> but he's the best at doing it. So that right. should tell you how, you know, what he respects of, of you and your practice session, folks. Um, yeah, but maybe anyway. if they would have practiced as much as he did, he'd pass him the ball. Exactly, and the ones that yeah. did probably received the ball. So, um, <laughs> but that, but that that's that's really my thing on back testing is all this stuff I'm talking about. You know, eighty percent of those days, I just accumulated that data and it sits in a spreadsheet, and I look at it and start slicing and dicing it, and then I'm so back testing. I'm getting a system figured out that I can predict when a trade's coming up, repeat the trade, and then understand what sort of risk management I need to use to turn that into a, a monthly or you know yearly returns mm-hmm. or whatever it is that I'm after. Um, and then I'm practicing it. So by the way, go back. If, if, if this sounds like it doesn't make sense, go back and retrade today. Just yep. go back to the open. There's your line on the, on the chart and you can't see anything past the open. You already know what happened by the way. So <laughs> you have a bias. So go now with that bias and trade today like you would have had you known that today was going to be a 37 basis point down day move on the S&P. And, it, you know, what would you have done differently? You knew that, mm-hmm. you know, we had a good run into the morning and then we had a Fed speaker come in and slam it down. And, you know, like you knew all this stuff was in there, but just like you would in practice, you know what the play is supposed to do. If, you know, let's say your, your, your sport, you know, football or whatever, Um, you know what you're supposed to do with the play. You know where the best defensive player is on the field. You know how they react to these things because you play them every day in practice. Mm-hmm. But you still practice it. You know what the outcome's supposed to be. You your defense not surprised that you're going to run this play over and over because you're literally practicing that play. That's what backtesting is. is you're practicing it, and I'm going to go practice it in the. Worst conditions and the best conditions, just so I'm so good at it. And then I have thousands of if I went and did an hour a day of back testing, so today it's about 50 trades. And that's Mm -hmm. only because I've been practicing that I can do that many in an hour. Most people, you're gonna get a couple done in an hour. Um, because you're just not practiced at it. So I'm not nothing special. It's just I've done it so many times.
0: Depending on the setup, if it's a new setup or what I've been working on, I can get between 10 to 30, I think in an hour, a couple hours. Yeah. But you, yeah, you, it's, it. it's not when you're first starting out when you're first starting out. Like a lot of that is just trying to figure out what the trade even is. What's yeah. the idea.
1: Yeah. And you know, you're not going to have the answer today. You're not going to have the answer tomorrow. Nope. Um, and you don't need it yet. Because if you, if you had the answer to everything right now, you don't have enough money for it to be meaningful anyway. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> And point. I don't care who you are. If you're if you're just starting out in the market, uh, you probably don't have a billion dollars. And if you did, you could probably just hire the best people in the world to do it for you, and you know, go do something, take a million of your own money and tinker with it, or sure, whatever. But for the most part, right. like no matter who you are, if you're just starting in this game, let's say you're starting with a billion. You're, if you do it right, you're going to have all the billions by the end. <laughs> um, <laughs> but. Yeah, no, we're we're here to just do that. So uh one you know one final thing on that was um to the crypto point is you know that's where uh it's an easier game but it's also the risk is bigger and mm-hmm. your returns are bigger and it's a it's a place where this level of discipline by the way this level of discipline doesn't really exist in Nasdaq S&P. So Imagine how little this level of discipline is in <laughs> in crypto. So um, mm-hmm. these are these are edges that you can choose to use or not. I know that the majority of people are not going to do it because it's actually hard to do this stuff. So the when you act, if you actually do it just once, you're so far ahead of everybody else <laughs> right. in the field. So it's a well, it's
0: an edge. I think what the the takeaway for me then is that. It doesn't matter if you're doing it right or wrong. It just matters that you're doing it. And the more you do it, the better you're going to get at it. So you it's like anything that you want to like start doing and become good at. You got to just go out there and do it, make the mistakes and learn from them. Totally. If you don't you got to start somewhere, right?
1: Yeah. Absolutely. It's totally available.
0: And if you can't start yesterday, then start today. It's it's available <laughs> to everybody.
1: Everybody you, you know, yeah. if if you have the internet, um you can make this happen. Um, even if you don't have the internet, you could figure out how to get data and create, you know, create your own charts. Um, how we used to do it or not, we, not me, not that much of a dinosaur, (laughs) but, uh, I mean, there, there are folks that that, that's their back testing is the manually drawing the charts. to just get into the sink of every bar.
0: That's kind of an interesting experiment. I might give that a try one of these days just to
1: see You, you actually learn quite a bit. Because it's something about putting pen to paper. It, yeah. Absolutely.
0: All right, Chris. Uh, where can people uh, go find you if they want to learn more about uh, some of the stuff that you're doing here?
1: At uh, Christy Macro, C-H-R-I-S-D-M-A-C-R-O on Twitter. Um, I also, PollinateTrading.com is my company. And I am working to get back into the YouTube game again. Uh, oh, YouTube's fun, isn't it? I love, I mean, I've, I've a thousand videos, maybe five, 300. I don't know how many videos I've got there.
0: I'll make sure it's in the episode description because I
1: definitely want to go look through some of those because I'm sure you got some real gems in there. This stuff's in there. Yeah. This stuff is definitely in there. It's for free on my YouTube and I'm, you know, I'm going to be a lot more uh, focused on it as, as, um, as we get going into this uh, huge bull market for the next two to three years. (laughs) Right. Calling it.
0: Yeah, uh, and you're not the first. I talked to an economist who had the same thing to say. He said, Point to one economic indicator that
1: gives you reason to be bearish. I'll wait. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's it's one everybody wants to happen, but still hasn't. Why?
0: Yeah. He made the great point, too. Like, why does everybody want the markets to go down? It's okay to root for it to go up. It's our team. (laughs) That's (laughs) right. We want our
1: team to do well. Excellent point.
0: All right. Uh, fortunately, though, we have come to the end of our time with Chris today, but the fun does not have to stop for you. You can follow him on Twitter at Chris D. You can check out pollinatetrading.com where he writes a newsletter covering everything from systems to tech to health and mindset. Uh, you can also check out that YouTube channel. The link will be in the episode description. I promise you. Uh, if you enjoyed today's conversation and looking for more, please check out our guest directory. We can browse all the amazing people we've had the pleasure of speaking with in the past. I'll be back soon with another exciting episode. But until then, tap that five-star rating and help spread the word. Bye. This podcast is intended for informational and educational purposes only. It does not constitute financial or investment advice and should not be construed as such. The hosts, guests, and contributors of this podcast are not licensed financial advisors, brokers, or professionals. Any trading or investment decisions made based on the content of this podcast are solely at the listener's discretion and risk. Trading and investing in financial markets carry inherent risks and past performance is not indicative of future results. Listeners should conduct their own research and seek advice from qualified financial professionals before making any financial decisions. The views, opinions, and information shared in this podcast are those of the individual contributors and do not necessarily reflect the views or policies of the podcast creators or associated organizations. Produced by China Shop Productions.